Hey guys, it's me, Danny. Now in my 20s, I thought I knew everything. Couldn't tell me nothing. Then I hit my 30s and I didn't think I knew anything. I wished somebody would have told me something. But now that I'm living in my 40s, I'm real comfortable living this life in the Middle Ages. So I thought I'd get together with a couple of my friends who also are in that same age bracket so that we can have some talks about what I believe are some shared experiences. Now, either you've gone through them, you will go through them, or you know somebody who went through them. It's all about conversation. It's all about community here. So listen, comment down below if you have anything to say. If you don't, just make sure you subscribe so you know we're here every week. Like it if you really just like what's going on and share it with a friend if you know somebody who could benefit from what's going on. So let's sit back and see what the people have to say. Well, my name is Keisha and I am 50 years old. Congratulations. Thank you. It feels good being 50. Does it? Mm-hmm. What What about it um, do you say? Because you, you're like, what, like a weekend, two weeks in? I'm like two weeks in, two yeah. weeks in. It, it's liberating. Like it's, mm. I mean, at this point, you are grown, grown, like you're real, real grown, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's almost like, who's going to check me? I'm going to do what I do, you know, I'm going to be what I'm going to be and I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And I have lived the years to be able to do it. Um, and so it's, it's just liberating. Like I, I often wondered what it would feel like being 50. Cause you know, at like 10 and 12, 15, 16 years old, you think that 50 is like aging and decrepit, but <laughs> I feel younger than ever, you know? <laughs> That's good. Were you nervous at 40 when it started to approach? Did you feel like, oh no, 50 or? I I did. So I felt, so when I turned 40, it was a very weird, weird, weird time. Like I had a 40th birthday party, but after the party, I just like kind of went home and cried. I felt like I hadn't reached the milestones that I wanted to reach. And I felt like, oh God, I'm getting older and older. And, you know, the end is near. Um, But as you kind of grow through your 40s, you learn that the end is not near. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're really just beginning to live. So 40 was a difficult, like going over into that 40 range was difficult. But as I grew into my 40s and got closer to my 50, it was that realization that, I'm still alive <laughs> and I've still got a lot more living to do. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And, and, and what's really cool is like at 50, I don't know 50, but what I do know is 50 is even the middle of the middle ages. Cause it's 40, uh-huh. 60. So it's like this, this um, space. I, I, I tend to look at it now as a space where you're, you're already in it. So you kind of know, and you can mentor people, you know, in their forties but you also get to see like that next stage and it's not so scary. I feel like once mm-hmm. you hit 50, 60 isn't scary because right. I'm 45 and it. I feel like 60 is like fly. Like that's when you like, <laughs> you can be a, unapologetically fly mm-hmm. and 
not really I, I feel like people in their 60s do not care what people think about like their style and everything like that not in the least <laughs> not in the least yes. I think Sheree said something like um on Real Housewives I was watching somebody was calling her old and she was like cold and old honey cold okay. and old <laughs> <laughs> I like that and I see that but I like that uh-huh. I haven't yeah. kept up this last season at all girl it's, it's been a mess but that was one of the best lines that I've been saying that cold <laughs> and old you wish you could yes. look like this at 50 you know absolutely absolutely mm. now you've been on a journey with um you have um a page on social media that's the fat girl chronicles yeah um very interesting the the journey and it's always for me I I felt like from the time that I noticed that you started it it's always been um learning and growth Mm -hmm. right yeah And, and realness in it um do you feel like when you started to approach for a 50 that you were less um maybe timid about what you put on there on I think when I when I started the Fat Girl Chronicles I was I think it was about 42 or 43 I can't even remember it it's it's been a while mm-hmm. and I think that as I pr- approached 50 I started feeling differently about it like I started feeling that fat girl chronicles wasn't where I needed to be at this age and um, so I don't post on it as much I did change the name to curvy girl adventures Um, and I think that at this point it's not even so much about this weight loss journey because I'm still on this whole weight loss journey but it's about how I can be healthy from the inside out because Mm -hmm. now it's more about I'm making sure that I'm living my best life in a healthy way from this point on um, and healing my body at a cellular level. So I'm more going towards a more plant-based diet. I can't oh, okay. say that I'm 100% vegan because I'm not. I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever be 100% vegan, okay. but I do um, do more plant-based choices um, and I do... Um, do more, um, you know, herbs and things like that. So I've been, um, kind of dealing with, um, you know, using mushrooms. So I use a lot of uh, oyster mushrooms to do because okay. it does have like that meat consistency. That's so like, it, which, which meat is it? So I feel like it could be whatever you really want it to be, but to me, it's closer to chicken, you okay. know? So like I've done, um, and I'm, I think that I'm going to start kind of posting some of the experiments that I do on some of these recipes, but I've done like a buffalo chicken uh, bite with okay. the oyster mushrooms and it was really, really good. Um, and I've done um, a General So's, General So's stir fry, mm, which was okay. really good. Um, and I've been doing more tofu, you know, um, really just trying to eliminate as much meat out of my diet as possible but there are times you know when I still want some fried chicken and there are times when um I can't really do hamburger too much that ground beef is a messes with my stomach but um I, I really have been doing that to heal from a cellular level because you know 90% of what we carry in the middle when our in our stomach and things like that is waste so um I've been doing some cleanses 
I did a watermelon cleanse, which was really good. Um, and I did this papaya cleanse, which was the papaya cleanse juice was very terrible, but um, it really um, was powerful and worked within my system and really cleaned my system out. Okay. So that's that's kind of where I am. So I, I don't I'm not at that fat girl chronicle stage, you know, where it was, you know, I started it, it was kind of cheeky, like to kind of get people to come in and this is what I'm doing and I'm posting this exercise and things like that. I'm not at that stage anymore, you know, in my life. And I'm not saying that I would never post exercises and things that I do, but I don't think I'm at that stage where I want to invite everybody in all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. I get it. I, uh -huh. I definitely invited a lot of people into my weight loss um, journey and people are not so kind sometimes. Right. <laughs> and and sometimes the judgment um I question sometimes I question it but you know me like I I I really honestly came to help trying mm -hmm. to um to do things because I'm really not trying to show off for myself but just to kind of want to inspire people because I just feel like if I if I could do something you really could do something. <laughs> right. And that's that's how I felt about Fat Girl Chronicles. Like, it, you know, just because you are a certain size doesn't mean that you have to stay that certain size. And and also, you know, plus size doesn't mean unhealthy. Right. Or unhappy. Know, or unhappy. And yeah. I feel like I... You know, I wanted to show Fat Girl Chronicles and that fact that I have a husband who supports me. I still struggle in this weight loss thing, but I'm just not not there anymore because I don't feel like I'm struggling. I feel like I'm on a different journey. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm not sad about it. I am um, unapologetically who I am. You know, I just went to Jamaica to begin my birthday celebration and my belly was out. You know? good. You will take your bathing suit. Honey, in my bathing suit, <laughs> enjoying my life. And who will say something to me, you know? And so uh, it, I did begin that journey to want to help people, but everybody can't be helped, yeah. you know? And people always have an opinion on how you should be doing something when they are not doing it themselves. <laughs> Yes, that's, yeah. that's what I'm at. Like, yeah, like you're you're making comments about the way that I do things, but I don't see you doing things. So, right, you know, I I really have learned now to just let go of what people say because mm -hmm. most of the people who speak are the people who aren't doing anything anyway. Right, right, and got the most to say. Always, always. got the most to say. <laughs> I want to touch real quick on the fact that you know these oyster um mushrooms I've seen a lot of people doing them so I wanted to you know I've been thinking about trying them but I kind of feel like you got an advantage because you're a caterer or I know that you were at one point catering and so you know the the food is probably better over there <laughs> it's probably better over there so I might be one time can I just pay for a dish so I, can <laughs> I got you I I got you I'm not even gonna make you pay for it I'm just not gonna do that but um yeah you know it's my daughter actually my youngest daughter Kirsten she's really been helping me um on this journey and and it really it was her who kind of sat me down and was like this 
what you're doing, you're going to, you know, eat yourself into an early grave, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, I think that at this age too, I'm ready to hear from my children, you know, and learn from them as well, mm-hmm. because I want to see, I like to see how I have raised them to be women of integrity, women who have an opinion and women who really care about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so she's been really helpful um, to me on this particular journey. And she's been really, really encouraging towards me. And she she had moved back home for a while because you know all your grown kids come back. And you know, you know that. (laughs) So um, she was home for a while and we really started, like she started me on this journey. And um, I feel so much better. You know what I mean? I feel lighter. <clears throat> I think I've lost about 20, 25 pounds, but I'm not even, you know, concerned about that. I just, I'm concerned about how I feel. I'm concerned about how my joints feel in the morning when I wake up, you know? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah, that scale will definitely mislead you. Yeah. Um, even, even in my journey, like, um, you, you want to get on that scale and see numbers. And a lot of times you don't see numbers change, but your clothes uh-huh. fit differently or your, like you said, the joints don't, don't, um, feel as bad. And that's right. true market. And, and we get so caught up on trying to tell like the number that uh-huh. looking for the number, but your body start feeling different before the number really changes that much. Yeah. 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 How do you feel? now 20 pounds Uh, is a big difference though in the the feeling of your body yeah I you know I feel I feel good and I also feel creative again in the kitchen you know what I mean like you mentioned me doing catering and I had stopped catering because my anxiety just could not take it you know what I mean like I just couldn't you know, the me worried about how the food tastes and worried about if they're going to like it. And if they don't, you know, what if the, you know, they don't come back again, if I don't have repeat customers and the, and it just affected the way that I cooked. And then also, you know, what people were wanting, you know, which is the classic soul food stuff, mm-hmm. just kind of stifled my creation in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way. Yeah. But now that um, I'm in this plant-based thing, you know, it has opened up my food creativity again. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I definitely encourage you to try those uh, oyster mushrooms. And then they have all other sorts of mushrooms that are meat. Like there's another mushroom that is like a beef, like gives you a beef feel. Okay. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I mean, it's expensive. So. <laughs> I'm sure I was looking at Whole Foods uh, about a week ago and I was just like overwhelmed with how many different mushrooms um, had to offer. So I was like, let me just back myself back up. But yeah, kind of been looking at it. Yeah. Start start with the oyster mushrooms and then go from there. Now, um, this brings us kind of to our conversation for tonight because I, I feel like I remember a post on social media where you were um, commenting on somebody else and saying that um, you felt like kind of your um, creativity and your and your catering was also halted because of um, your losing your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so I wanted to kind of let, let let's see if we can talk about that. I want to just give you the space to first just like introduce us to your dad and your relationship Mm -hmm. with him. 
So my dad, Kenneth Mitchell, <laughs> um, our relationship is, and I say is because uh, at times I still feel like our relationship is evolving, mm-hmm. even though he's no longer here. Um, but our relationship um, has had many ups, many downs, many ins and many outs. Um, him and my mother were never married, okay. though they were each other's true love, you know. Okay. Um, towards the end of his life, he told me a lot of stories about him and my mother. And what I've come to realize is that he never stopped loving her and she mm-hmm. never stopped loving him, but they didn't know how to love each other, love each other at the different intervals of their life. Mm-hmm. And so when my mom went away to college and my dad stayed home, uh, went to the army, they both became different people, but they were still, when they came back together, they still wanted to have the people that were in high school and they weren't that anymore. Um, and so through the different iterations of their relationship, they have never learned how to love each other through each level. Um, and so it caused them to, to really just be apart. Um, so when I was born in 1972, <laughs> um, you know, he, he wasn't at the hospital when I was born. He wasn't there. He had, I think at the time he had moved to Connecticut and um, my brother was born in March and I was born in September. Okay. So, um, okay. you know, and there was that, my grand, though his, his, my grandmother and my grandfather, his father and mother were at the hospital. Um, and they were there when I was born. They were there when I came out, you know, they visited, you know, and I had a relationship with them and they pushed him to have a relationship with me. Now, as I got, when I got to, (coughs) I guess about five or six, um, that's when we really started kind of getting in touch with each other. And, you know, he came to visit and things like that. And my dad, um, My dad was a complicated person, you know, he had a complicated relationship with his father, which then made him have a complicated relationship with all of his children. Mm -hmm. And even though he married my youngest brother's mother, they weren't married for long, but even though that he lived with him, they still had a complicated relationship, you know. Um, I think that my dad definitely was in that generation where fathers didn't say that they loved you or they didn't give room or space to feel any emotion but to be strong you know and you know don't cry and all that type of stuff so my father was really kind of raised in that that type of environment and his father did not come through for him in so many different ways so I feel that my dad was always kind of going through this phase of really trying to be better but not really having an example of what better is you know he often told me that he really looked at my grandfather on my mom's side, my mom's father as a father figure to him, you know, and um, even when my mom was away at college, he would still come to my grandparents' house and just kind of be around the family and things like that. Um, 
but I had the most in common with my dad. You know, my dad was a professional singer. Um, he used to sell out Civic Arena when it was a Civic Arena. Uh, him and his doo-wop group, you know, was you know, the big, big thing, you know. Um, then he went on to be with Johnny Angel and the Halos, and um, he went on to do, um, uh, I forget the name of the group right now, but um, he got awards from the Temptations and things like that. So he was he was a definite a definite singer, and you know I, I always wished that we would have connected more on that level in my formative years as I was growing up and you know coming into my own of singing and music and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but when I got to be old enough, I think I was probably about 10, you know, we started seeing each other pretty regularly, you know what I mean? And um, he would come over to the houses. We lived in Manchester and he lived around the corner. So he would come to the house and he would take me places and, you know, we would do things together. He would buy me stuff. And, and kind of that's what he, he became was the guy that bought me a whole bunch of stuff because I feel that, you know, (laughs) part of it was his guilt. And, you know, at 10, 11, 12, you're using that to get what you want. Right. Um, And so, you know, our relationship grew from that. Then when we got into our teen, my teenage years, Um, you know, when you're a teenager, you don't like anybody, but I remember my mom just being so strict all the time because she, you know, we were church of God in Christ. She couldn't do this. She couldn't do that, you know, and I I wanted to go. I had that strict strict. Oh, real strict girl, real, (laughs) real strict. I had to sneak out to so many concerts and I just remember thinking like, why can't I just go to my dad's for the summer so I can at least have a summer of freedom? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, we went through our, our battles in, um, in my teenage years and, you know, we still stayed in touch. The one thing about my dad though, he never missed any milestones in my life. Never. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I graduated from fifth grade into the sixth grade, he was there, um, you know, from kindergarten to the first grade, he was there from high school, whatever I did, you know, singing here, competitions, he, he was always, he always made sure that he, he was there. And, um, as I got older, you know, he started, you know, we would talk more and he would talk about, um, things that went on with his dad. He would talk about why he becomes distant at times and he dealt with depression and, you know, his generation didn't see therapists, you know, you just kind of dealt with it in whatever way you felt that you needed to deal with it. And my dad's way of dealing with depression was just to retreat which is something that he passed down to me. You know, when I was feeling some type of way, I would retreat, I would talk and things like that. So getting to know him on that level in my teenage years helped me because I understood his capacity, you know, and then we would talk more. And then when I went away to college, Um, I did an internship at um, the sheriff's office as my major was public administration. Okay. And I was doing my internship round at family court. So my mom, I had wanted something from my mom and she was like, I can't get it. Ask your father. And so when I asked my father, he said, I don't feel like you need that. 
So, you know, at 18, I wanted what I wanted. And so I sued him for child support. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold move. Uh, <laughs> sued him for child yeah, I support. I see how the process works. We might uh-huh. have to head on through it. Oh, yeah. And I did it. I did it. And he uh-huh. was so mad at me. He was so mad at me. I will never forget that. And he was like, he said to me, I'm not even mad. Like, I'm just hurt that you would do that. And I remember in my 18, 19 year old thing, like, I don't know why you're hurt. Oh, you know, that whole thing. Like, but, I stuff. Right. I wanted my stuff, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, he he ended up having to pay the child support. Um, and then, you know, I got what I wanted at the time, but then I just kind of really, really felt bad. Then um, when I graduated from, or when I left college and I got married, that's when our relationship became really, really close. I think I I got married when I was 21. Um, And I just needed my dad because, you know, my husband was nine years older than me. And I wasn't quite sure what I was getting myself into. He had children from a previous marriage, you know, and I remember my dad saying, like, I don't want this for you, but if this is what you really want, I'm going to support you, you know, and he, he did. And he walked me down the aisle and I have that memory of him. Now he did have to leave. And at the reception because he had a gig because nothing was going to stop him from his gigs, okay? Um, and not coin. But, um, you know, he we, we talked a lot. We were close. Um, talked almost every day at that point. And, you know, he helped me through a lot of things. He affirmed me more in my, you know, adult years than I've ever been affirmed from him throughout my, you know, formative years. Um, And then (laughs) he would say things like, you know, you only marry Art because he looks like me, you know. (laughs) And on on Valentine's Day, he would call me like at, at like dark 30 in the morning so that he could be the first person before, you know, art to wish me a happy Valentine's day. And, um, he was, you know, say things because, you know, you're, I'm your first love. And I would be like, yes, dad, you're my first love, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, um, and birthdays and things like that. And so when it came time for, me to be the caretaker for him it was an easy transition you know to do that because I felt that even when he wasn't around as much when I was younger I realized that he cared for me from the capacity that he was able to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I appreciated it yeah you know and it might not have been as much as I wanted to but being a parent and looking back at it and really understanding sometimes your capacity as a parent, I understand, you know what I mean, where yeah. he was. And um, and he's apologized to me for it so many times, like just so many times. And I've forgiven him for that. And I, I really, really let it go because I just wanted, just wanted my, you know, my dad at the end of the day. Right. And um 
you know, we, we talked a lot, you know, that last year of his life, we were together almost every single day because I was taking him to doctor's appointments and things like that, making sure that the house was clean and, you know, just being that caretaker. Um, and we talked almost every day and we talked about a lot of things and he let me in on a lot of things about his relationship with my mother and our relationship and his relationship with um, his father. And I understood him even the more, which made me miss him even the more when he died. You know, I just wasn't ready for him to go because I felt like we were just kind of getting to this spot where I was older, you know, like I was, you know, really, really grown and I was getting to know him on a different level because he was really letting me in on some things that I never thought I would be letting on. Um, And he was a proud person, you know, my dad, uh, he was (laughs) very good looking and he told everybody that he was very good looking (laughs) and he did not mince words about that. I can remember one time asking him for a a poster for uh, Billy D. Williams and he was like, you don't need a poster of Billy D. Williams, just take a picture of me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you oh, know he was the right. I'm playing right here right he was a dark-skinned <laughs> dude with the hazel eyes and he had this beautiful singing voice you know um and women just it just was ridiculous how they would act when he was around <laughs> it was ridiculous you know and um I would go see him singing in different places like when he was singing with Johnny Angel and the Halos honey white women would be throwing draws at the stage okay and um they just loved him you know they just 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 loved him and watching him perform really was like one of my greatest joys and I kind of see you know where I get things from and why I do certain things because you know he did it (laughs) you know and um he was um not always the easiest person to get along with at times, you know, um, he saved money (laughs) and he made sure that my brother and my sister and I, we were set up and that we didn't have to want for anything. We didn't have to come out of pocket for his funeral at all. Um, he had everything written out of how he wanted it to go. He left us, you know, money and things like that so that we would be taken care of. Um, and, he just was a secret planner, like, you know, things that you wouldn't know, you know, I would ask my dad for money all the time, and he always say he doesn't have any money, how broke he was, mm-hmm. and then, you know, when he passed, we went to the bank, because the, the, you know, he left it in my salt my, my brother's name, and we found out how much was in there, me and my brother just cracked up, and we was like, this Negro was always broke, <laughs> <laughs> and this is why, because, you know, he always kind of knew what was happening in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to be cremated. Um, he didn't, you know, want, you know, a lot of fanfare and stuff like that, even though I did give him a lot of fanfare at his <laughs> funeral because, you know, he deserved it. And that's who I am, you know. So, um, and people loved him. People really, really loved my dad. And he was different in different different settings you know Mm -hmm. um and so 
he was just, he was just really just kind of everything to me, everything to me. And, you know, I sometimes often kind of envy people who, you know, had their dad in their homes and things like that. But what I did have of my dad was very precious mm-hmm. and it meant a lot to me. You know, he didn't live with me and, you know, I didn't live with him. And I asked him one time, you know, why didn't you just like come and get me for the summers? Like I could have just stayed with you for the summers. And he was just like, I just didn't think about it because, you know, I was always around. And so I never thought about just taking you for the summer because I was always around. Mm-hmm. you know and um I you know I understood that but I told him that if you would have I wouldn't have had to sneak out to the new edition concert <laughs> and when I had to sneak out to ready for the world concert like I had to sneak out to all of these concerts and I got caught every single time okay <laughs> but <laughs> I wasn't good at it but I was still going to do it I was still going because I couldn't understand at like 15 16 why I couldn't go to the any heartbreak tour you know so, um, you know, those, those, I just, I loved my dad. I loved him dearly and I appreciated him and I appreciated the things that he gave me and the things that he instilled in me emotionally. Um, you know, he, he just, some things he just didn't even know that he was doing to, to make my heart, uh, grow. And he just, you know, he just naturally, naturally did it. And I was his favorite daughter, you know, <laughs> and he said it, like he said it out loud. So it's not anything that, <laughs> it's not anything that I think it's a fact. He said it. I was his favorite daughter and um, yeah, that's my dad. I feel like I didn't give you, I don't know if I gave you what you wanted, but. No, I'm not. I'm. I'm honestly not looking for anything. I'm just trying to give space for people, um, so that we could just kind of open up conversations. I'm just trying to open up conversations with other people within our age group. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I like conversations. I like topics about things. So I, I'm not looking for particularly anything. Um, you just don't know people, you know, and. Um, like I know for myself, um, my my parents were married till I was fifteen. Um, we lived in the same house, but I I didn't grow up with my parents. Um, and so when uh, most of my friends before I turned thirty, um, either didn't have any relationship with their dad or had unhealthy relationships with their dads. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hit forty, and it's like more people that I know had healthier relationships with their fathers, and I'm always kind of like, I don't identify, but I really like to hear about it. <laughs> I really <laughs> like to hear about it. Because, yeah, because there's always, you know, there there's a lot of conversation about absentee fathers, and you know, fathers not being there, and abusive fathers, and toxic parenting and that type of thing but I don't typically typically hear a lot of black women speaking about their relationships healthy relationships with their dads oh you don't you know and and I and I feel like though there are more black women I think so let me say this I think sometimes black women our age 
don't have the healthiest relationship with their father because mm-hmm. their father maybe didn't have the healthiest relationship with their father right. um, because they just went through that weird you know time period when black people couldn't be vulnerable in any spaces right. you right. know and they just couldn't be vulnerable in any spaces and so um it didn't allow them to be vulnerable in in their home. And one thing my dad said about his father is that his father would always come through with, if he needed money or something like that, he would do that. They would have to go get it, but he would come through with it, you know, um, but he just wasn't present all the time. And, and, you know, my grandfather, you know, dealt with, you know, several things. And I don't know everything because, you know, my dad didn't talk about him a lot because I feel like it was just a lot of hurt feelings there. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of things that just emotions that weren't really dealt with. So he didn't talk about him much. Now my grandmother, his mother remarried. And the only granddad that I really knew was my, was my step-grandfather, which I didn't know was my step-grandfather until (laughs) I was uh, in college and my mother said, your grandfather died. And I'm thinking like, oh my God. And she's like, no, not, you know, your grandfather, Dave, your granddad, you know, I can't even remember his name. And so (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) She's like the other guy. I was like, what? And so, you know, she explained to me who he was and you know she told me some stories and things like that and I remember coming to school coming for home from school for the funeral um and I remember waiting in the church and I wasn't I didn't go come in with the family because I was already in there you know and I remember thinking like am I supposed to come in with the family I just remember being so unsure of what to do jack was his name jack thank you um i just remember being so unsure of what to do you know what i mean and i watched my dad come in and he was so upset you know he was so he was crying he you know i'd never seen my dad cry before and you know and i wanted to go to him but i couldn't because his current wife, you know, it was just weird. And um, I remember feeling so distant from him at that point. And I remember just leaving the funeral. I called my mom and I told her to come and get me before the funeral was, was over. And, you know, my dad called later and was like, why did you leave? I didn't even get a chance to see you. You know, your, um, your grandmother told me that you were there and you left. And I was like, I just didn't feel like I had a place there. Mm-hmm. You know, I just really didn't feel like I had a place there. And, you know, I remember him just kind of talking about the fact that he hated that. Like he hated the fact that I felt like I didn't have a place there. And and one thing he said to me kind of stuck with me all the time, no matter what situation we went through. And he was like, you always have a place with me. You always have a place with me. And um that's nice yeah it, it just nice thing to get that's a nice thing to get in general but to be a black girl and get that mm-hmm. father and 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 that was you said you were in college so between 19 18 and 21 uh-huh yeah, yeah. I think I was about 19 yeah that that's yeah. 
that's a definite gift to mm-hmm. get um it was your father um not into church at all or just not as strict as your mother so my dad was into church um but not in a um an organized religion you know and definitely not as strict as my mom and he just felt like at you know you got you got to let your child be a child and a teenager experience teenage things um and so I know they definitely didn't agree on that and that was probably part of the reason why my mother didn't let me go over there for the summers because that my dad's side of the family that's turn up okay (laughs) those family reunions are the turn up okay you don't need um, that much devil you don't need that right I don't need that much devil but it was was all summer no a whole entire summer boy I have to you know douse you with anointing oil if you come back in the fall um but and then my mom's side of the family you know is very churched and all of that we have a good time but they're very very churched so I feel like if I was with him it would have more it would have given me balance a greater balance you know kind of growing up and into my adult years but I just I really <laughs> feel like it was my mom who was just like no 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 you know you know and, and you know being a being a mom sometimes you think you're doing it right yeah and then you don't know until they're adults and they can express yeah. better like this thing that I needed you didn't give to me and you know being a child and you know we're all children so being a child there comes that point when you're you want to tell your parents like the thing that the things that you gave me or I like that it wasn't enough or you know and then being a parent and we're at that age now where our kids are able to start saying those things to us and you're like I thought I was doing a thing and now I realize like maybe I missed something or I was too much of something. It, mm-hmm. You just never know what you should do. But yeah. You will find out that you did something wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. Something wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. You will find that out for sure. Um, so so after the after the um the service for your father, how do you feel like? you carried like did was it a surreal type of situation or what do you feel like there's been a a point now where you've come to terms with the fact that he's not here physically so I feel like the service was a surreal situation um because my dad was my older sister is very emotional and I remember my dad saying, do not let your sister act up at my funeral. I do not want her crying and falling out over the casket and stuff. And so I was so focused on making sure that she didn't do that and making sure that it was a dignified and respectable funeral because, you know, that side of my family is very emotional at times. <laughs> and I think that I didn't allow myself to feel. 
And I was kind of in robot motion, like making sure that, you know, the, cause he was a fireman. So making sure that the firemen were where they were supposed to be going through that long processional line of all the firemen coming up and saluting him and, you know, making sure that he had, um, that each singing group that he was with was on the program, making sure, you know, so it was like, I just didn't think and I didn't feel I was in a doing doing mode so it was definitely surreal so when the funeral was over and I got home it all just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks you know and it just all you know came down on me at one time and I just wasn't ready for for that and I just broke down and I cried and I cried I think I cried for about maybe about 45 minutes to an hour or maybe two hours, you know, until I cried myself to sleep. And um, I woke up the next morning with the realization that he is just not here, you know, and I felt like an orphan, even though my mother, you know, is still alive and kicking, I just felt like an orphan. And I felt like a piece of me was, was gone. And I wish that I would have allowed myself to feel more at the funeral as opposed to waiting until it was all over Uh, because it was almost an overwhelming sense of grief. And then, you know, the grief goes in waves. You know, you're okay and then you're not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, I was definitely on autopilot during during the service. Do you feel like now, how, how long has it been? Um, it's been a little over a year. Okay. And so do you feel like now you have reached a space mentally where, um, I don't want to be, I don't want to just sound disrespectful. Um, do you feel like you reach a space mentally where you realize like, it's like, you're not alone and he's still with you in a different way or are you still in a spot where you're feeling like orphaned so I feel like I'm in a spot where I'm not alone because I had um, a, a couple months after or it was a couple, yeah a couple months after the funeral I was um, I was asleep and um, I, I woke up you know but I was still in a sleep state but I knew that I was awake Um, And it was like I was having a a vision. Um, And so he came to me and he said, I'm proud of you, Mm. you know, and you did a great job and I love you and I need you. I need your mind to rest. Mm. And so and he said that, you know, I'm I'm around, you know, I'm around. Mm. And um, and then he disappeared, you know, and so at that moment. I had a sense of peace that I wasn't orphaned, um, you know, and that he was still with me in some capacity. And um, I felt better, you know, I, I, I felt a lot better. I still miss him incredibly because I still go to call him at certain things, certain things happen. And then I realized that I can't call him, you know, um, and so I, I don't feel orphaned anymore. I miss him, but I do feel his presence um, through my children, uh, you know, through certain things, sometimes through my brothers. 
and I just kind of feel his spirit around me. Nice. Do do you feel like um, because almost around the same time you were an empty nester, do you feel like um, it enhanced, you were given a space to enhance your relationship with your husband? Yeah, um, you know. You you said about your dad, you know, and and how you guys related. Did it help you, you know, with relating with it did like you know when you become an empty nester you get to know your husband on a different level because you know while the kids are home everything is about the kids right you know getting them to cheerleading practice getting them to this and making sure you have money for that and you know somebody needs braces somebody needs to go to the doctor somebody's fighting so you know so everything becomes about the children you know getting them through high school getting them through the prom and all of that type of stuff and so and you operate in a way that, you know, you still have this loving relationship, but the, the crux of all of your conversations are the kids, <laughs> you know? So um, once we became empty nesters, we had to get to know each other on a different level. And, you know, it, it was, it, it was a process uh, because, you know, I, don't have to cook every single day and I'm not <laughs> going to be cooking every single day yeah. you know yeah. and he's looking at me like are you cooking no you know mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's those things that you had to kind of get to know each other on a different level and um it, it brought us closer together you know and then only for them to come back up <laughs> <laughs> that's that has been a running um a running topic through all my conversations uh-huh. like they they hear and then you get sad because they can right leave and then they leave and then you start feeling comfortable like I like this and then as soon as you feel like the comfort they be like hey right <laughs> I can I come, come back home? <laughs> right yeah and then there's a whole different way to relate to them when they come back and it's a whole different dynamic 100 percent what right because they're grown you know yeah like, you know so mm-hmm. yeah and, and you're different now so yeah yeah, it changes things. Um, when touch back real quick, you said that when you when you're you learned that your father would kind of retreat in in his depressive states, and then that's how you learned how to handle yours. When your father passed, was there a retreat at that point that you had to get pulled out of, or um, do you feel like you learned along the years how to not? retreat so much no I feel like it was definitely a retreat that I had to get pulled out of and I was I had to start after he died that's when I started um, seeing a therapist because you know my every thought was about him and reliving things and wanting to do things differently and if I would have did this you know and so I retreated a lot I backed away from activities um, that I was doing um, before he passed away. And I backed away from people because I just felt like nobody wants to talk to me because I'm always sad and I don't want to, you know, give my sadness to other people. Um, you know, I kind of backed away from my husband because, you know, I didn't want him to have to bear the burden of trying to get me together and, you know, all of that type of stuff. And so I definitely uh, had to be pulled out of that 
depression and it, it took it, it took a minute for for it to happen but I was happy that I had the wherewithal to seek out therapy you know um, to kind of help me because I knew that I needed some help I was retreating very far back mm-hmm. and into a really deep deep dark place and um, I knew I needed help and so the therapy really really helped to pull me out of that dark place and that's another thing I just really love hearing black people talk about going to therapy now and um you know because one of the things that a lot of times that I have conversations with which I loved about hearing you talk about your dad was you know helping people to see their parents as actual people yeah and then realizing that if if I can see my parent as actual people and saying like, okay, so there were some things that didn't involve me in their lives. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, and then, cause I think a lot of times when, when we're the child, a lot of people have hard time realizing that their parents are actual people who had trials that had nothing to do with them, even though sometimes they took it out on us in different ways. Um, then you realize that you, you probably should, you know, get some help for some things you have going on. Right. And um, then not be a better person yourself for yourself, you know, not for anybody else, but, you know, everybody gets the residuals from that. But being able to say in this day and age that I, I knew that I needed help and that I went to get help, it, for me, it just seems, sounds like so much strength in people. And so, like, I feel like, I would just want to say, like, I commend you for knowing it and then addressing it and being in a space where you were willing to talk about it. Yeah. I have to tell you, and then it was great to go to a therapist that looked like me too. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, (laughs) But when I started going there, even though I knew I needed the help, I was still kind of resistant. I don't want to say resistant. I still was kind of giving her that church fakeness, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that I had a therapist that was like, girl, <laughs> like you're only lying to yourself right now, right? You know, that you know, that didn't didn't let me retreat into that whole fake church thing where I know, you know, how you doing? Blessed, you know, God is, you know. And then meanwhile, you know, my, my heart is on the floor bleeding but you know I'm not (laughs) going to let you know that because you don't need to know that but and she was a therapist I was just like girl you're only lying to yourself I know you're not okay Mm -hmm. so when you going to say you're not okay and understand that it's okay not to be okay and that's why you're here to get to a place called okay you know so I I appreciated that even though I knew I needed the help I still didn't fall into the help until you know she was like I mean we can sit here and do these niceties all day or you know we can get to the nitty-gritty and you can feel better right you choose you know because <laughs> did you realize that like after leaving like after a session of doing the niceties and then getting back in your car did you did you feel like I'm not getting anything from this or did you feel like because we're, we we have that church thing going on, did you kind of feel like, I, I guess this is just what it's supposed to feel like? Right, I was like, 
all right, you know, got that done and over with. I felt like, you know, I'm doing, I said I needed help. I'm at the place where I could get help, you know. Um, and I remember the one therapy session and she was asking me, you know, well, how do you feel? And I was like, you know, I, I feel sad, but I'm, you know, leaning and dependent on the Lord and he's going to see me through. And she was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's true. He will. But how long are we going to do this? And I was like, do what? She was like, how long are you going to fake your way through this? Because you're paying money to come and see me and you're faking your way through it. And I was like, damn, yeah. <laughs> you just called me out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you just that's really, really called me out. You need, yeah. Yeah, and I needed it. And I remember like going home, being pissed on the ride home. Who she thinks she is? You know, you know, and then when I came back, I was like, you're right. I, I have been just kind of going through the motions and that's when the real healing started. And it's still a process because I'm still yeah. healing. Yeah. You know, um, there are some deep disappointments, you know, that I have from my dad. And I don't want to make it seem like, you know, it was all roses in our relationship because it wasn't. There were some deep disappointments. There were some deep things that I felt like he didn't come through for me when he should have. Um, and therapy has helped me deal with all of those things, you know. So. Listen, anybody who felt like filing for child support for themselves definitely felt like and I don't care which would come from a space especially at that age where there would you know be some kind of ill feelings as well yeah yeah I, I remember that I remember just filing for child support and I remember the um the uh, lady was like are you sure you want to do this I was like yep <laughs> it's like all right sure do and I feel good about it feel good about it and uh <laughs> and I did it yeah so but yeah yeah but you know even when, when when we speak about relationships like romantic relationships there's always a conversation about you know if you've been with somebody for a certain amount of time it takes at least half that amount of time to come to terms with the the breakup and you know the, the the ending of that relationship so I would imagine that um losing a parent it's not you you definitely can't have an instant healing and it's not healthy for you to to or for anyone to say you know I'm good it's been a year I'm good you know because you I feel like that first year you still come to terms with all that happened just in the the that last year you are. And, and if anybody says that they're good after their parent died, they are a lie and the truth is not in them. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what type of relationship you have with your parent, um, if it's a good or a bad relationship, it's still losing your parent. And then if you had a bad relationship, it's losing the fact that you can never rectify that relationship, mm -hmm. you know, and it it's just, you know, the first couple months, I just still couldn't believe that he was gone. And I, I kept going over in my mind, should I have done this? Should I have done that? What if I had taken him to this doctor's appointment? Maybe we should have got a second opinion. That was all what the first couple of months was really about for me. Um, and then, so I would say probably he died in April. And so 
from like April to July, you know, was, was that. And then, you know, July to still to this day, I've come to the fact that I've done, I did all that I could possibly do as a caregiver. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm coming to grips with the fact that he is no longer here physically, but he's here in another realm. You know what I mean? Like his spirit is still around. Now here's the, here's a funny, funny, funny thing. (laughs) So when um, my brother, so I have two brothers. Um, One was from Pittsburgh and the other one lives in um, Alabama and now my younger brother he lives in California but I said in September of last year I was like we should have a house party since we didn't all live together and we never like had a sneak out sneak and have a house party and get in trouble we should do a house party you know and so they were like yeah let's let's do it let's do it so we had this house party <laughs> and um, we were, you know, everybody was in the room and my brothers, they're, you know, good looking people. So there was all these girls there and, you know, it kind of in and out of my, my dad's room. My dad's door to his bedroom shut out of nowhere <laughs> and locked. What? Okay. It never, you you have to lock the door from the inside. That's the first thing. Okay. <laughs> and the second thing is like, who shut this door? And we could not get that door open until oh, everybody left. <laughs> he said, I, I just want y'all to know that I see what y'all doing. <laughs> that I see what y'all doing and you're I in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about it when this party is over. We'll talk, we could not get that door open. And my brother was like, I thought you locked it. I was like, no. And I, it was so, so, so funny. When the last person left, the door just opened. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. I, I, both of my parents are still alive, but both of my parents mentally are not capable of um, communication. Uh-huh. And um, so I always imagine, you know, like I, I, we, well, we've become like caregivers in, but, but not in the physical sense every day, like you did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always want for people to know, and, and maybe you could say more about it, just like the, the, the family members who are the caregivers for the other people in the family there is a sense that like it's easy to to do this thing and you kind of I, I, I feel like a lot of those family members kind of get um misunderstood mm-hmm. and um sometimes like the family doesn't come together in the way did your family were you were you all who were present participants in your father's last year or was that more on you so um, I think my brother, uh, my brother who was living here at the time, my youngest brother, it definitely was both of us mm-hmm. in it together. You know what I mean? Because my dad relied on on the both of us to make decisions and things like that. So we were definitely in it together. But when it came to 
caretaking, like really taking care of my dad, you know, making sure that he showered, taking him to get his hair cut. That was more me. Mm-hmm. Now, my older sister came in, uh, you know, later on. Um, and, you know, I would have to say that when it came down to, you know, when it got to that point where I felt like my brother from, from Alabama needed to come in and I called him and he came, you know, we all were together in it. And that was one thing that my dad was really happy about is that the four of us were all together with him at that last, last, last moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt, I felt that we all played a part in taking care of him. Um, and we all did our, you know, we all did our part, you know, okay. I was, uh, the one who made all, all of the medical decisions and things like that, but we all had a part and played in taking care of him. So I feel like we, you know, we equally, equally shared that. This is, this is really good. Cause I just <laughs> feel like, you know, I get people who were caregivers just being like, I wasn't supported. I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, and so I, I, I feel like amen for the support as well. But, you know, I want to say that he from the time from the time that he got to the point where he needed caregiving all the time to the time that he died was very short and I knew when he got to the point where he needed caregiving all the time that he was not going to stay because my dad just was not with that like he was not with the fact of me having to bathe him me having to change his diaper like that's just it it killed him on the inside for me to have to do that. So I knew at that moment when those things started happening that he was, it was not long, that he wouldn't be here much longer because he would rather not be here than for me to have to do that or for my sister to have to do that or for my brothers to have to do that. Like Mm -hmm. when my brother started having to carry him from the bed to the, um, to his wheelchair and things like that, he just, it just, I could tell in his eyes that, he didn't like it, you know what I mean? And it wasn't like he couldn't do anything to change it. And so he had a DNR and all of that. Um, he didn't want any extraordinary measures to keep him alive. So I knew that it was gonna be a very short period of time that we were gonna to have to care for him, you know what I mean? And so I feel like we were able to support each other because it was a short period of time. I feel like had it maybe have been a longer period of time, I would have had that where I didn't feel supported and things like that. But, you know, we found out he had cancer um, the year before. So, um, and he let, he was around for a year. So I don't feel like we had a long enough period of time of caregiving to get to that particular point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I don't have any other questions, but is there anything that you would like just to put out there? Um, I think that one thing that I really want to put out there is for fathers to know how important they are in their daughter's life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're definitely important in your son's life, but the importance in your daughter's life is, I, I can't even put it into words of how affirming words from your dad take you so long, take you a long, long way and mean so much to you. 
So I would have to say if you are part-time in your child's life or not in their life as you should be, then you need to rethink that and really be a part of their life because you don't want your daughter or your son, but especially your daughter to get to the end of your life and say, I didn't even know my dad or my dad never affirmed me or my dad never made me feel any type of way or he never, you know, he never talked to me and I just didn't know him. You just don't want want that. One of my dad's biggest regrets is that he wasn't around when I was born and that he took that to his grave of feeling guilty about that. So um, I would just say, be there as much as possible. Say all of the things that you need to say and really affirm that relationship with your daughter. It's, it's really, really important. If you know me, you know that I um, love TV and music. Uh-huh. So, um, I ask everybody now, what, what song do you feel like represents you? Um, it doesn't have to be the only song, but if you were just thinking right now and you needed to throw on something that would just represent who you are, um, what would that song be and why? Um, so <laughs> I any, think genre, that, any artist, whatever you feel. I think that there is one song, there's two songs actually. Um, okay. And the one song is by Jill Scott and it's Living My Life Like It's Golden. Yes. I feel like that is where I am right now. Um, if that that would be my theme song. Um, and then another song um, by CeCe Winans, and it's just all my life, you've been faithful. And God has been faithful all my life. You know, I may not have always understood things. I may not have felt that he came through in certain ways that I wanted him to come through, but there's never been a time where I didn't feel that. Um, God wasn't present in my life and that he didn't make ways out of no way. So I think that um, if those are, if I had to pick two songs, it would be be those two songs. Perfect. All right, darling. Thank you for You're giving welcome. your time on a Friday night. I really appreciate it. And have yeah. a good evening. Tell Art I said hello. I definitely will. All right, darling. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that we we have that thing in common with our fathers being in music. My dad wasn't um in groups or anything, but he really had a great voice. And uh-huh. growing up, just randomly, my dad would like hit a note and be like, find your find your note, like to harmonize with him at any time. We did not have a good relationship, but music 100 percent was um our connector. Um so uh, anytime I hear people like you know have these musical connections and family I'm like oh I did that, uh-huh. <laughs> I had, that. I had that but um yes thank you for um giving me and giving the audience your um a glimpse at your dad and your relationship with him Oh yeah, this was, it was wonderful. I, I think that it was definitely therapy for me to talk about it. Good, good. Uh-huh. I'd like for it to be that kind of space. This is 
Thank you for listening to the Just Saying Podcast. Don't forget to look for us on all the social media sites for updates. And remember that we will be here every single Wednesday, especially with this series we have going on right now. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Make sure your friends know about it because anytime sisters is helping sisters, it's a great thing. You've been listening to me, Danny, at the Just Saying Podcast.